in Easter coming up. You know, most people don't really want to hear you talk about a lot of things, but at Easter, they're willing to listen to you. You have an opportunity because even though they may not believe it, they know about it, and it's kind of something that they'll connect with you on. And so I want to use this opportunity, and I want to stir your heart about the people who are not yet in church. And that's what the church is. It's the only organization built for the people that have yet to join it. And so I want to speak to that this morning. I'm just going to pray. Father, I humbly submit what I'm about to speak into to, to your hands today for you to use, oh God. Father, people would hear what you're saying to them, oh God. Father, they have open ears, soft hearts, oh God. And Father, ready feet to go and do what it is that, that you are putting in their hearts today to do, oh Lord. And Father, I pray, help me communicate what you've communicated to my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, Jesus really cared for people. There's pretty much no one that Jesus didn't care about. He loved all people. In Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, there's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's an amazing sermon. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And, and the Bible gives three full chapters to one message that Jesus spoke. It was a, the longest recorded sermon that Jesus spoke, and it's radical. Now you think his audience at the time was just his own followers and the Jewish people. And it was a radical sermon. You know, many times in the sermon, he goes, many times you have heard it said, or, or you have heard it said, but I say to you, you have heard it said, this is what you've always been taught, but now I'm teaching you this. I'm teaching you something else. I'm teaching you another way. So as he teaches, he's adjusting the people's attitudes and he's adjusting people's perceptions. And it's literally a master class. I actually toyed with, let's do it as a series. But then I thought, we'll finish in, 19, in, in 2027. There's just so much in it. It's just amazing. But I tell you, it wasn't an easy sermon for Jesus to preach. He wasn't preaching it so people would go, wow, you're magnificent. He wasn't preaching it so people could say what a great preacher he was or, or wow, the insight that you have. He wasn't preaching it to get a bigger audience. He was preaching what God had told him, and much of it was quite challenging. Much of it was like, oh, oh, you shouldn't really be speaking about those things. He said things like this. If you are angry with a brother, or you insult a brother, you are a murderer. You are the same as a murderer. That's full on, right? We've all committed murder. Right? No one here is not a murderer under those kind of like rules, right? Jesus had brothers, right? So, you know, like, and brothers, because I have three of them, they can make you as mad as any other person can on the whole world. Who's got a brother and says amen? Oh, come on, you got a bit than that. I'm a brother too, right? <laughs> you know, I've, I've actually murdered all of my brothers, if that's the case. And that doesn't even include my Christian brothers and sisters, because let me tell you, I'm actually a serial killer. <laughs> you know, Jesus said, don't hate your enemies, but love your enemy. 
pray for them. How radical is that? You have to read the New Testament for like one, the Old Testament for like one minute before someone's praying for the death of their enemy. Someone's praying, smite this one, smite that one. There's a whole lot of smiting of enemies in the Old Testament. I can imagine like, he says, love your enemies, pray for them. I can imagine David in heaven like, what? Half my Psalms are about smiting and getting my enemies, getting retribution. What are you talking about? Right? Like it was radical thinking. It was radical thinking. But Jesus was saying, don't be the one looking for retribution. Don't be one who's, who's happy when something terrible happens to your enemies. You know, before Jesus, hating your enemies was the way to go. Getting revenge was the, was the way to do it. A lot of primitive societies, even today, it's all about payback. It's all about getting what's right and what's yours. So much of our society today is have your rights, you have your rights. But Jesus was saying, no, today is love them. Pray for them. It's a big change. It's a, pretty, it's a really big change for society back then. And Jesus was right. You know, praying for those who have done you wrong is literally the only way that you'll be able to move forward. Right? Without praying for them, you'll always be stuck in the offense. They did this to me. And you're always working out ways in which to kind of make yourself right and to, and to show and, and that. And all you're doing is keeping yourself rooted to one spot. But the moment that you forgive, the moment that you kind of like pray for them and actually not pray God gets them, right? right? Yeah. Pray that God blesses them. Yeah. Pray for their family, pray for their health, pray for their mental health, pray for them. All of a sudden you find that I can actually move on. I can actually have a future. So Jesus is just amazing. He's so wise. The Sermon on the Mount is also very encompassing. There's not a whole lot that it misses. There's a, there's a lot to take in. It's almost like a, a manifesto. You know, it starts off with the Beatitudes, the attitudes of Christ that will attract God's blessing. Then it goes on and talks about being persecuted for your faith. Then Jesus addresses some religious questions about the law. And then he addresses a whole lot, and it's a really comprehensive list. He talks about anger, forgiveness, lust, divorce, making promises, taking revenge, loving your enemies, giving, provision, praying, fasting, saving money, worrying, judging, loving, hypocrisy, and then finishes with this great life lesson about living your life on a solid foundation, which of course is Jesus. He finishes saying, if you live your life by these things, then there's a solid foundation for your life. You're going to live a pretty good life. The storms are going to come. The winds are going to blow. But you're going to stay standing if you listen to the things of this message. It was an incredible message. It was revolutionary. And it wasn't like anything that the people had been taught before. Three full chapters Three full chapters given to one sermon Jesus preached of the how-tos and the what-nots of following Jesus. Some of it was impossible. Some of it was just literally impossible. Be ye perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. All right, let's all go home. All right. And, uh, and if you think you're perfect, 
you probably need to leave first, right? So, uh, right? none of us are perfect, right? Like, be ye perfect. Jesus said that. We might as well give up because we aren't, we are not perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us are going to be perfect. But what it does is it just shows us how much we need Jesus and the magnificence of what Jesus did for us in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did, because of his death and resurrection, what we celebrate at Easter time. I am perfect because of what Jesus did, not because of what Mark did, but because of what Jesus did. That is perfect. Some of it is just brilliant life skills. It's just brilliant life skills. Like, don't look for the speck in someone's eye when you have a stake in your own eye. Neil, come up here. Bring me my stake. All right. Come over here, Neil. Now, I'm not going to beat him. All right? I'm not going to beat him. But Neil, I'm really sick of the fact that you are wearing a white T-shirt and wearing a white shirt. Why are you wearing a white shirt? You know we're not supposed to wear a white shirt. And as for fawn-coloured pants, you know that we're on the stage. We just wear black pants. So what are you doing? Neil, I'm just sick of you. I've got to help you dress properly. See what happens? I'm berating him for something I'm doing. And all it does as I'm looking for faults is keeping, right? First of all, I can't help him, right? He's careful now. I, <laughs> I, if he, I could get all of his eyes with this one. Maybe I should go this way, right? So, yeah, I know. He's very nervous, isn't he? So, so what it does, all it does is bring distance. Me fault-finding all the time. And if you're a fault-finder, all it does is put distance between you and everyone else. I can't help Neil if I have this distance between him. If I'm not willing to, to lay aside what, is, what I find a fault, but when I can get close, then we can help each other. But it's not one being over the other. It's not one being better than the other. It's one helping the other. You know, Jesus is life. You can take that and uh, be careful with it, all right? <laughs> it's just brilliant. How brilliant is that in just dealing with people? Don't have a stake in your own eye. But trying to fix out a little speck in someone else's eye. Some of it shows the Father heart of God and who God really is, which would have been amazing to a people who were just taught to just be scared of God because any moment he could get you. If you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Think about that. He's not talking now that God can give good things. God can be a good God. God can give us good things, not just expect things from us. Expect action from us. Expect behavior from us. So I look at the Sermon on the Mount and how it's spoken. It's like being like church. right? In church, we talk about how to live as Christians. We talk about the Word of God and, and we try and apply the Word of God to our lives. We try and talk about how to live lives that reflect who Jesus is. We, we try and look to God and we look to Jesus and we try and point out 
who Jesus is and, and we try and show the goodness of Christ. We try and lift up the name of Jesus. We, we try and show you the Father heart of God and, and we try and teach you the things of the Word. We, we spend time praising and worshipping so the presence of God can come into your life. We spend time praying for you, believing and standing with you during the tough times, believing that God would do a miracle. That's why church is so important, that we gather together. But that's for an hour and a half every week. Hopefully, sometimes two times an hour and a half on a Sunday night, six o'clock, great church on Sunday nights. You're with others. You're being taught many things about many topics. We try and show you who God is and what he can do. We address all sorts of things and try and speak to people at all stages and, and of life and all things of life. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's wise. Some things we ask, well, at where you're at in life, just like the Sermon on the Mount, are, are well nigh impossible. Right? That's church. This is where we set the standard. This is where we set the ideal. This is where we preach to you the Word of God and, and try and exhort you to love one another and to do good works and to, and to go out and be the church. Church is where we tell you God's ideas. Church is the easiest place to be a Christian. <laughs> it's the easiest place to be a Christian. This is where we're all perfect, wearing white shorts and thorn pants, right? <laughs> we don't get mad with anyone. We look good. We sound spiritual. We have pretty much the right intent before God. If you're in church this morning, your heart is towards God. You have a good intent towards Him. And if you're living wrong, this is where the Holy Spirit many times will just convict you and tweak you and point you. And it's just wonderful being in the presence of God. It's wonderful being in the church. On Sunday, it's the easiest to follow God's way. But what about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? Saturday, Sunday afternoon, how is it with God then? See, it's good in church to proclaim and declare God's word. We encourage you and, and, and exhorted to do so, but what about in the world? What about in society in general? What about at your work, at your school, at your university, where people really couldn't give a rip about God? Where Christianity is actually frowned upon and many places we're an object of ridicule and scorn. People aren't cheering you for worshiping God on Sunday, many places where we work, or the places that we're about. On Sunday, we hear the ideal, but on Monday, we many times have to deal with the reality. And Jesus, he knew exactly this issue. Jesus, uh, he, he knew what, what, what was happening. See, he had preached awesomely. The people had loved it. They've been commended how like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they don't preach like you do. You preach as one with authority. He'd been Lord. It was a good sermon. Pastor Mark, I liked your message today. He'd given his best, but he's brought back to reality very soon. Right? He's been on the mountaintop and he's brought back to reality very soon. Matthew 8 verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will. So remember, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. 
This is the next chapter. He comes off the mountain. When he comes down from the mountain, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand. Everyone say, stretched out his hand. And touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to no one, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. You know, Jesus, after having had the best time in church, teaching and preaching, is immediately confronted with the reality of dealing with someone whose society has cast out, whose society has said, no, no, we don't really want anything to do with you, to someone he wouldn't necessarily seek out himself. And we too are in church on Sunday, hearing all the good things, hearing about the love of God, but during the week, we're confronted with people that we probably don't want to spend a lot of time with. We, during the week, we have to deal with the unlovely this is our lovely crowd, right? And on Monday, we deal with the unlovely, people that we don't really want approaching us. And we, like Jesus, are called to stretch out our hand towards these people and not shun them. You know, these are the people that we'd rather cast out of our lives rather than draw into our lives. The drunk guy or the obviously addicted person who life is just obviously overwhelmed and they're just not coping at all. Sometimes we kind of want to walk away from those people, yet God might be saying, go and stretch out your hand towards that person. Or let me make it a little bit more real. What about that boss who's not fair, doesn't like you, and then puts all these unreasonable expectations upon you? Where it'd be much easier to go, God's an idiot, rah, 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 rah. Be like everyone else in your workplace, rah, 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 rah. Right? But no, you're going to have a loving attitude. You're going to have a working attitude. You're going to be doing this. Or the family member. I know that might only be in my family, but the family member is never wrong. Right? Never wrong. And this makes you so mad. You say it's black, they say it's white. You say it's up, they say it's down. Right? They just, ah! Right? And they're approaching me. Go away! That neighbor who's always asking for something, and then it's rude to you at other times, right? It's just crazy. By the way, we should have good relationships with our neighbors. God has placed us in that street. And you need to be doing things to go over there and being happy for them. Mow their part of the lawn if they're just kind of attached to yours. Right? Do things that are kind. I heard a neighbor was having a fight because one neighbor wanted to put, his, his bin was full, right? And he wanted to put, bin his rubbish in the other neighbors that wasn't full and they have a big fight over it fill my bin I don't care it's rubbish anyway it's going to be taken away right go and be nice go cook and and when you do you're surprised people people actually love it we as Christians they're neighbors we put there for a reason right and use that reason what about that co-worker who always has problems right and then he expects you to help, or she help, but she, she expects you to help, and they just never get on top. It's always the same. They always have problems. You're always filling in for them. You're always kind of doing their work. You're always kind of like making them look good, all these different things, and then they go behind your back. You know, these are, these are unlovely people. The friend who uses you instead of being a friend. The disabled guy who makes you feel uncomfortable. 
The girl guy just has massive expectations of you. The girl guy has no personality, yet expects you just to talk to them for two hours. Right? The guy girl has hygiene issues and just doesn't understand personal space. Right? There's all sorts of people that are cast out of society. That, that we don't want to be with. And, I, and I'm bringing it personally down, not so much to the outcasts that we know, but the people that we determined have been outcast in our lives, right? The people that we're dealing with on a, on a weekly basis. There are many outcasts in our society and Jesus wants us to stretch out our hand towards them, not run away from them, not shy away from them. Jesus never shunned anyone, and never, neither should we. You know, they are the lepers and the unclean of our society. And they're going to come to us. And we need to be willing to stretch out of our hands. People who are in desperate situation who need to hear the gospel. You know, crisis is spiritually invigorating. And when you show them the hand of God and the love of God and the care of God, in their desperate situation, they're going to realize that what they were trusting in didn't get them through the storm. Their life is not on a solid foundation. They are not moving forward, but they're staying backwards or even going further backwards. And so we need to love those people. So I want to, I want to promise you, as what I've learned over the years, that when I preached a message like this, that I don't actually have to do too much because the Holy Spirit will do it for me. And I promise you, over these next three weeks before Easter, right, you are going to come across someone unlovely, right? Someone that's probably not your cup of tea. Someone who, who you kind of, in your realm of friendships and how you are, you decided they're a bit of an outcast, they're a bit of a leper. They're someone that I wouldn't normally be with, right? And God's going to ask you to go over and stretch out your hand. They're going to come to you just as the leper came to Jesus but Jesus could have shunned him. Jesus could have walked away. But Jesus instead goes in and touches a leper. The very thing you would never do to a leper is what Jesus did. And the fact, this is the thing I think about Jesus, right? He is so attractive. He's so magnetic in what he is and who he is that a leper actually feels comfortable enough to come to him. That's scary, isn't it? Like... I, I want to be that kind of godly or that attractive in a sense that people would feel like if I go to Mark, he's not going to shun me. He's not going to push me away. He's not going to be mean to me. He's going to try and help me. He's going to actually reach out and touch me. I think that's very, very challenging, that Jesus. See, like Jesus, right, we can't keep our Christianity on the mountaintop. We need to get down and dirty with the lepers of our lives, with the, with the cast outs of our lives. So you might use this to touch someone with. And as they hear the gospel, as they meet Jesus, all their lives are changed. It might mean a bit of a hassle for you. You might have to bring them because they're a bit scared to come by themselves. You might have to sit next to them in church. You might have to buy them a meal afterwards, right? But they're going to hear the message of Jesus. So reach out and touch them. It doesn't stop there for Jesus. Because the next person he has to deal with is a Roman centurion. Matthew 8, 5. When he had entered Capernaum, 
a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, no, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That would have been radical to a lot of people because at that time, God only cared about the Jews. And right now, Jesus is saying, hey, there's a whole other world out there and I care about them too. So he has to deal with a Roman centurion. He is an officer of the occupying army. He's not a good guy. And the Romans were hated by the Jews. The way I can describe it, is this, it's like Russia invading Ukraine, taking over Ukraine, winning. Do you think the Ukrainians are going to love Russian soldiers? Do you think a, a Russian general is going to be a hero of the people? I don't think so. See, my mum, when, when we were young in the house, we were never, even no matter how hot it was, we were never allowed to walk around without a shirt on. And it used to drive us crazy because it gets really hot in Adelaide. Right? We were not allowed to wear. And I go, what are you talking about? And she goes, in the war, the occupying soldiers in the summer would always walk around without their shirts on, and I don't want to be associated with that. And because of that, 30 years later, right, she wouldn't let me walk around my house without a shirt on because, and even now, if I do it, I still feel a bit guilty, right? There's other reasons too. But, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember once she telling us with way too much joy of what happened at the end of the war to the ladies who actually fraternized with those occupying soldiers, right? And they were just hunted down. And then in a big group, they were just, they had all their heads shaved. Wow. And my mum would talk with this joy in her face and this glee that I'd never seen part of her personality. It was actually quite shocking. I'd never seen that side of her, right? In, in all my years, it was only, and, and there was this kind of like, they deserved it. See, there's, this, there's a feeling towards an occupying army. There's a feeling towards them. Occupying armies are hated by the people that they're oppressing. And the Romans were particularly oppressive. Jesus even addressed it a little bit in his Sermon on the Mount. So after being on the, on the mountaintop, he's first confronted by someone he doesn't really want to touch in a leper, and then he's confronted by someone that he shouldn't have any compassion for, who's completely opposite to everything that he is. You know, outside of here, outside of the church, we have all sorts of people who want to oppress us. Atheists, media, Politicians, gay activists, abortion right activists, ex-Christians who now hate the church, university lecturers, you know, people of different faiths who think their way is the only way. For many people in society, churches is no longer seen as a place of good, but rather of bad. In some people's eyes, we become the bad people. The church are the ones who hurt people and oppress people, who judge people. 
Yet Jesus wants us to love those as well. We're not to be frightened by them or intimidated by them. Because in the end, right, in reality, they are actually just large Goliaths yelling out their threats. They seem real. They seem true. They seem like they've got a point. But in the end, God will win. We are on the winning side. But in the cold, hard light of day, their threats, their intimidations, their yelling outs seem overwhelming. But Jesus wasn't intimidated. Jesus wasn't scared of what the crowd would think. He just ministered. And I think once again, how attractive is Jesus' life that a Roman centurion still feels the ability to go and see him because he knows there's someone who's got an answer. He just ministered. He actually saw through the centurion's position and saw someone who in that moment was in pain and who in that moment heart was soft. And if we really are a church that wants to see souls saved, we can't draw lines of who's in and who's not. Because we are going to see some people come to church who are not like us, who don't agree with what we say, but in a moment of pain and in a moment of a soft heart are going to come into the church and instead of shunning them, we need to reach out and touch them and we need to minister to them. And it's happening right now within our church. A church right now, we have some interesting people coming and checking us out. And I pray that they find some people who are like Jesus who are going to come and minister to them rather than uh, just kind of judge them. You know, that last summer, we had prayer meetings before we had summer. And so we had a prayer meeting in Morayfield. And there was a girl who had been coming to church for about a month and she was not living a lifestyle that we would say is a great lifestyle. And so she decided, I like church, I'm coming, it's good. And so I'm going to bring my friend. And the first thing I'm going to bring my friend, my friend, right, to is a Pentecostal prayer meeting, right? So I turn up there. I see this girl who I know is searching and, and looking. So already I'm on a little bit on the, okay, a little bit different this prayer meeting is going to be, right? Uh, then uh, then I'm, I'm sitting there, right? And she goes, oh, this is my friend. She's never been in church before. And she's going to be with us. So I'm thinking like, okay, I probably won't be, you know, like yelling out in tongues the first thing. What I found myself doing, and I felt sorry for all the other people who normally come to our prayer meetings, I explained everything. I explained <laughs> why, what was prayer, yeah. right? What was speaking in tongues? What was raising our hands? Why we would pray for this particular thing? People who normally come to the prayer meetings go, come on, Pastor Mark, we've got an hour. Get on and pray, will you? Stop telling us the things we know we're here. Right, we know what we're doing. But see, there's, a, there's an attitude I'm going to try and draw her in and make her feel like she's welcome rather than put a barrier and say, oh, sorry, you don't understand this. Can you go please sit outside? Right, you can please sit outside. It's funny, you know, like that's what the people who are doing things of Jesus do. But when the, 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 the day of Pentecost came and all these things were going on, Peter goes, these men are not drunk as you suppose, because they just, oh, they must be drunk. Look at them, they're carrying on. These men are not drunk as you suppose, but this is what had, the prophet Joel said would happen in the last days. He started to explain what it is. 
And so that's what we have to have an understanding of is that we've got to start to love some people who we find really unlovely and who have very contrary opinions to what we have. And so we need to then allow God to work on them and at some stage, God will draw them in. You know, for many years after I became a Christian, every two or three months, I just, ah, I just lose it and I get drunk and carry on and, and, and do these different things. I wanted God, but there was still so much falling off me. And sometimes the people who are going to come are going to do things that we don't really like and we know is wrong, but they're just some of those things coming off them as they're walking forward. You know, a friend of mine had a couple turn up to his church. He was really happy. But then after a while, he said, hmm, something doesn't seem quite right here. So a little bit of investigation. He found out that, I have to read this, because it's quite complicated, right? He found out that the woman was actually a man who had transitioned to a woman and had all the surgeries. And that the man was a woman living as a man, taking hormones every day. What a complicated world we live in. They asked to be baptized. And he's like, oh, okay, uh, we have an issue here. Um, uh. But he just felt like, well, 3,000 got baptized straight away on the day of Pentecost. Many people got baptized straight away in Samaria, right? When the Holy Spirit fell upon uh, Cornelius as the centurion's house, right? Like another centurion, right? Like when he fell on that house, Right, they got baptized straight away. The Ethiopian eunuch, right, like actually pertinent in this case, right, was baptized straight away, and they didn't have to prove anything. So my friend said yes to them being baptized. He was still kind of like, oh, I don't know about this and that. But when the man who became a woman stepped into the pool, he heard God say to him. I love you, my son. How amazing. One little voice, one little sentence from God, I love you, my son. And everything changed. That was radical and it completely flawed him. You know, he, he was baptized without anyone in the church needing to tell him anything. He decided that he was going to live as God had made him and not as he had chosen to become. But he'd had all these surgeries and would now always look like a woman. His partner decided that she was going to live as the woman that she was. How great is God? That sometimes that we just have to leave people to God rather than feel the need to have to be the person who changes them. You see that speck in their eyes? It all us does is separate us from people. It just separates people. You know, the couple decided to get married. And this is where, right, which is good, they're following God's thing. And this is where people left the church. Right? They left my friend's church because they said, you are marrying two women. Right? Yet they both decided to go, and it wasn't her fault that those surgeries had happened and she'd taken all of those hormones. And in the end, he just had to say, well, if that's how you got to be, that's how you got to be. These people had followed what God had said, what the Spirit of God had said. It's sad, the religiosity of the people. See, Jesus always looked at the heart and the direction of the person, not the position 
of the person. Maybe the band could come, and that's the key. See, the church is never going to come into the alignment with the thinking of the world. We're never going to agree with many of those things that the world say are just normal and natural right now. We're not going to agree with those things. It'll, it'll never, ever happen. But the world is never going to understand us. The world has never understood us. To be honest, if you're worshiping God, raising your hand to someone who doesn't believe there is a God, that's weird, right? The Bible tells us that the things of God are foolishness to those who are perishing. Everything we do is weird. Just coming to church on a Sunday, praying to a magic thing in the sky, that's how they look at it, that's weird. So just make your peace with the fact you're weird. All right? You're weird. They're not going to agree. They're not going to understand. The world will hate us at times just as it did Jesus, and we're never going to win over those sections. But I want to tell you, if we put the things of the servant of the mount into our lives, if we start to live with that attitude in mind, when we come to church, God fills up our spirit. God does something in our hearts. And then on Monday, because we're living out the Sermon on the Mount, we're living out what we were taught. We're living out the presence of God. All of a sudden, the lepers and the centurions are going to come, not as a massive group, one by one. Some of us, like the Pharisee, Nicodemus is going to come to us in the night, in the secret. They don't want anyone seeing us. But that's what I talk about when I mean, that's what I mean when I talk about being attractive. Our goal, Nina and our goal, is to, is to make a church and to have a church that disciples people to be attractive and makes the teachings of Jesus attractive. I want them to live on a firm foundation so that when the winds come and the, and the storms blow, that all of a sudden they're able to stand. Because whatever it is that they're trusting in now, whether it be family, whether it be money, whether it be education, whether it be friendships, whether it be fame, whether it be all the different things, whether it be a sexual identity, whatever it is that they're, they're using to try and say, that's what I'm going to be. When the winds come and the waves blow and all of those things happen, all of the things, they fall over. And then they see, oh my goodness, didn't, they didn't fall over. They went through that. They didn't fall over. What they trusted in has some foundation, has some strength, and they can come. And they'll come one at a time. They'll come one at a time. You know, the day that I got baptized, I don't think I've ever told this story because I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed. But the day I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, it was an amazing day. I spoke in tongues for the first time. It was incredible. But I was so lifted up and I was still playing competition eight ball at that time. And then, <laughs> you, this is online too, isn't it? <laughs> All right. But that night, after the thing, I started telling everyone like, that I was playing eight ball with, that I, you know, got baptized the Holy Spirit and how great it was. And, and then I was so happy. So I had one beer, and then I had two beers, then I had 10 beers. And then I just started telling everyone in the pub, right, just how great Jesus was and how fantastic it was and all of these different things. Because I just wanted them to have what I had. 
right? Now, I'm not telling you go have 10 beers tonight and, and, uh, and go and tell everyone how great Jesus is, right? I was filled with a different spirit at night than I was in the, in the morning. But you have to have a heart for people. And God puts people in your lives that, so they can come. We're not going to judge them. Well, you'll live this, or you do that, or you believe this. You've done terrible things. You've done terrible things. You know, we, uh, you'll see outside here that we're doing lights. Or we're not doing it, right? The, the company's doing it. And the guy came and spoke to me. And uh, he said, uh, and we're going to be doing lights, and can I use some of the land? I go, yeah, no worries. And he had tattoos all over him. It's just, just one tattoo, really, right? And it's just massive, right? And, that, and then he goes, you know, I go to church. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I'm happy for you. And he told me what church. And, and then another time I was speaking to him, and uh, he goes, and he showed me all the articles in the paper. He was a bikey in, in one of the clubs. And he done, this is, he showed, it's not lies, not story. He showed me all the things, right? And he'd done something really bad. Like if I actually told you what he did, everyone here would just be shocked, right? And he'd been in jail 11 years. And because of what he did was so bad, he felt so guilty about it. And he decided that he was going to kill himself. And what he did was bad. Let me tell you, it's bad. It's, it's so bad, I can't even say, right? So He'd done it to a, a, another person and he decides this night he's going to kill himself and then a guard comes to him and says, a prison chaplain is here to see you. Will you go see him? He goes, yeah, I'll go see him. And then the prison chaplain says to him, he goes, uh, the guy that you did it to wanted me to come because he forgives you. And this guy just started to cry and cry. That night he's going to kill himself. And he just cried and cried. He, he finished out his sentence. What he did was so bad that even in Parliament, they brought up his case to try and keep him in jail. Right? And, uh, and, and after 11 years, so it wasn't good. Right? So if he tells you where to park, you better park there. No. But uh, no, 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 sorry. I just got, so, but what, <laughs> I'm evil. Right? Sorry. Uh, but what happened is that he just started going to church. Got himself a family, got married, got himself a family, started building his life. Someone prophesied over him and said, you're going to have great responsibility. And now he runs all these crews doing all of these things around the place because God came in his life. We would all judge him because what he did is deserving of judgment, but he paid his price to society, did his time. And then we're going to invite him in. Right? Probably, no, I won't say that. Right? So that's who God has. And you know, those people, even though they seem worse than us, are not worse than us. We're sinners. We're sinners. Our sin is just something else. Our sin is just something else. So let's be a church that gets in what God is doing on Sunday but then starts to live it out on Monday. Let's start to live out the Sermon on the Mount and then you'll find one by one, people will come, people will come, people will come, people will come. Is there something different about your life? 
Is there something working about your life that draws other people?